Chapter 15 of Mary Carey, Frequently Martha. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jan McGillivray. Mary Carey, Frequently Martha by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter 15 A Real Wedding. It looks as if everybody who knows Miss Catherine wants her to be married from their house. Her brothers want her to be married from theirs. Her aunt, Mrs. Powhatan Bloodgood, who lives in Loudoun County, and whose husband is as rich as a real lord, begs her to be married in hers. And everybody in Yorkburg, I mean the coat of arms everybody's, has invited her to have the wedding in their home but she just smiles and says no to them all. Says she is going to be married from her house, which is the orphan asylum, though the ceremony will be at the church. It's going to be in the morning at twelve o'clock, so they can take the two o'clock train for Richmond and go on to New York. Miss Catherine wants it to be quiet, but it can't be quiet. There's nothing on human legs that can use them who won't be at the church to see that wedding take place. Everybody has been paying her a lot of attention of late. It's real strange what a difference a man makes in a marriage, even if he isn't noticed much in person at the time. If he's rich and prominent, everybody is so pleasant and sociable you'd think they were real intimate. If he's just good and poor, few take notice. When Miss Vicky Toons married Mr. Joe Blake, they didn't get hardly any presents. They had a lot of dead relations who used to be rich and haughty, but their living ones are as poor as the people they didn't use to know, and hardly anybody gave them anything handsome. Miss Catherine's presents are just amazing, and my eyes are blistered by the shine of them. I didn't know before such things were in the world. People say Uncle Park has made a lot of money in some mines out west, besides being a doctor and that he doesn't have to work. But a man who doesn't work hasn't any excuse for living, I heard him tell somebody. And maybe it's so, though I don't know. I don't know anything these days. I'm the shape and size of Mary Carey, but I see and hear so many things I never saw and heard before that I'd like to borrow a dog to see if he knows whether I am myself or somebody else. And another thing I'd like to find out is, how do other people know so much? Mrs. Philip Creekmore has a cousin whose wife's brother lives in the same place Uncle Park does, and Miss Amelia Copeland rode out there and found out all about him. But it doesn't matter whether she truly knows anything or not. Miss Webb says she is like those fish scientists. Give her one bone, and she can tell you all the rest. She's had a grand time telling more things about Uncle Park than Miss Catherine will ever learn in this world. My dress is finished. I'm to be maiden of honor. There are no bridesmaids. Think of it! Me, Mary Carey, once just flesh-and-blood mechanical, now a living creature who is to wear a white Swiss dress and a sash with pink rosebuds on it and walk up the church aisle with my arms full of roses. And magnificent gloriousness, most beautiful of all. Every girl in this asylum is to have a white dress 
and a sash the color she likes best to wear to the wedding. That's my wedding gift to the girls. Uncle Park gave it to me. Miss Catherine's California brother and his wife have come. I don't like them. He looks bored to death, and chews the end of his mustache till you wonder there's any left. As for her, she's the limit. Maybe that's what's the matter with him. She seems to be afraid some of us might touch her, and she stares as if we were figures in a china shop. No more says good morning than if we were. She wears seven rings on one hand and four on another, and rustles so when she walks, she sounds like a churner out of order. If she isn't a Bulgarian born, she's bought herself into being one, for she oozes money. It's the only thing you think of when she's around. You can actually smell it. I think Miss Catherine is sorry they came. She don't say it, of course, but plenty of things don't have to be said. Uncle Park came last night, bringing his best friend and some others. The best one is Dr. Willwood. He's fine. He and I are going to come down the aisle together. I reach up to his elbow and he says he may put me in his pocket. I wish he would. I know I will be that frightened I'd be glad to get in it. He wants to know all about Yorkburg and the people, and today Miss Bray let me take him all around the town and show him the antiquities. He asked her. I had on the white dress Miss Catherine gave me last summer, and I looked real nice, for I had on my company manners, too. You see, he was from the West, and had never been to Virginia before, and when a man comes such a long way, one ought to put on company manners and be extra polite. It wouldn't be right not to. I put mine on, and I guess I did do a lot of talking. I'm by nature a talker, just like I can't help skipping when my heart is happy and nothing hurts. I told him all about the places we came to, and about who lived in them, except the Alden House, which the Reagans now possess. When we got there, he stopped in front of it. My, he said, that's a beautiful old place. Whose is it? Some people by the name of Reagan live there, I said. I don't know them. And I started on. I came near forgetting, and saying, that is Alden House, where my grandfather used to live, but I remembered in time. I don't acknowledge my grandfather, and I knew somebody else would tell him Uncle Park was born and lived there until he went west. We had a grand time. We stayed out over four hours, and I forgot all about dinner. He didn't want to go in when I suddenly remembered and told him I must. And then he said I was going to take dinner with him at the Colonial. He'd asked Miss Bray, and it was all right. And that's what I did. Took dinner with him at the Colonial. I tell you, Mary Martha Carey had what you could truly call a time. And Dr. Willwood said he never had enjoyed a morning in his life like that one. Laugh? I never heard a man laugh so hearty. Half the time I couldn't tell why. I'd be real serious, but he'd look at me and almost die laughing. 
I bet I said some things I oughtn't, but I don't remember, and I couldn't take them back if I did. It's over. The wedding is over. Everything is after a while in this life, even death, and time is the only thing that keeps on just the same. They're gone. Gone on their bridal tour, and the happiness that's left Yorkburg would run a family for a long life. I wish everybody could have seen that wedding. It's going to be long remembered, for the earth and sky and birds and flowers and trees and sunshine all took part. Everything tried to help, and as for blessings on them, they took away enough for the human race. But now it's over, I feel like my first balloon looked when I stuck a pin in it to see what would happen. I saw. I had a telegram from them today. It said, We sail at eleven o'clock. Love to all and hearts full for Mary Carey, Uncle Park and Aunt Catherine. Well, she's my aunt now. That's fixed anyhow, and the marriage that fixed it was a beauty. Every bird in Yorkburg was singing, every flower was blooming, and every heart was blessing. And when those fifty-eight orphans walked in, all in white and two by two, every hand was dropping roses. And that is what each girl was wishing. Roses, roses all her life. After the ushers, I came in all alone by myself. That is, my shape did. Mary was really inside the altar looking at me coming up slow and easy, and Martha was ordering me to keep step to the music. All right, I'm doing my best, I was saying to both. And I was but I was thankful when I got to where I could stop, for my legs were so excited I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd turned and run out. Behind me came Miss Catherine on her army brother's arm. He's as nice as the other isn't. He hasn't got the money-making disease. When Uncle Park and Dr. Willwood came out of the vestry room, Uncle Park gave me one look, just one, but it was so understanding I winked back and then he came farther down and stood by Miss Catherine, like she was his until kingdom come forevermore. Amen. Then the minister began, and the music was so soft you could hear the birds outside. The breeze through the window blew right on Miss Catherine's veil, and I was so busy watching it I didn't know the time had come to pray, and I hardly got my head bent before I had to take it up again. Then the minister was through, and I was walking down the aisle with Dr. Willwood, and in just about two minutes more we were back at the asylum and it was all over, the thing we'd been looking forward to so long. The asylum looked real nice that morning. There were bushels and bushels of flowers in it, for everybody in town who had any sent them. Flowers cover a multitude of poverties. The reception was grand. That California richness called it a breakfast, but that was pure style. Yorkburg don't have breakfast between twelve and one, and everybody else called it a reception. As for the people at it, there were more kinds than were ever in one dining room before, and every single one had a good time. Every one. You see, Miss Catherine, 
besides being who she was, was what she was. Having known a great deal about all sorts of people since being a nurse, and finding out that the plain and the fancy, the rich and the poor, those who've had a chance and those who haven't, are a heap more alike than people think, she said she was going to invite to her wedding whoever she wanted, and she did. There wasn't one invited who didn't come. The bent and the broke and the blind. That's true, for old Mr. Forbes is bent, and Mrs. Rose's hip was broken and she uses crutches, and Bobby Anderson is blind. And the old, that's the high-born coat-of-arms kind, and the new, that's the Reagans and Hinchmans and some others, and Mr. Pinkert the shoemaker, who, she says, is a gentleman if he don't remember his grandfather's name, and Miss Jinny Grant who made her underclothes, all were there. All. It was a different wedding from any that was ever before in Yorkburg, and if any feelings were hurt, it was because they were trying to be. Some feelings are kept for that purpose. Of course Mrs. Christopher Pryor had remarks to make. Catherine always was too independent, I heard her tell Miss Queechy Spence. But I don't believe in anything of the kind. If you once let people get out of the place they were born in, there'll be no doing anything with them. You mark me if this wedding don't make trouble. Some of these people will expect to be invited to my house next. And she took another helping of salad that was enough for three. She's an awful eater. Oh, no, they won't, said Miss Queechy. They know better than to expect anything like that of you. And she gave me a little wink and walked off with Mr. Morris, who's her beau. I went off, too. It isn't safe for Martha Carey to be too near Mrs. Pryor, for Mary never knows what she may do. And, oh, you ought to have seen Miss Bray. She was stepsister to the Queen of Sheba. Solomon never had a wife arrayed like she was on that twenty-seventh day of June. I believe she is engaged to Dr. Rudd. I really do. You see, after people got over teasing him about that make-believe wedding, he got to thinking about her. He's bound to know he isn't much of a man, and no young girl would have him. So lately he's been ambling round Miss Bray. If he can stand her, he'll do well to get her. She's a grand manager on Little. He was at the wedding, too. His beard was flowinger and redder, and the part in the back of his head shininger than ever. He had an elegant time. He was so full of himself, you would have thought it was his own party. Uncle Park and Aunt Catherine have been on the ocean three days. I wonder if they are sick. I don't think I will go to Europe with my children's father. I was seasick once on land, and there wasn't a human being I even liked that day. It would be bad to find out so soon that the very sight of your husband makes you ill. After you know him better, you could tell him to go off somewhere, but at first I suppose you have to be polite. They were awful nice about wanting me to go with them, the bride and groom were. They said I had to and they were so surprised when I said I couldn't that they didn't think I meant it. When they found out I did, they were dreadfully worried and didn't know what to do next. There wasn't anything to do, 
and here I am. Here I'm going to be, too, until the first day of October, when they will be back and we will start for the West, from Michigan. I'm going to like Michigan. I've decided before I get there. I know there will be something to like. There always is in every place and every person, Miss Catherine says, if you just will see it instead of the all wrong. I was by nature born critical. There are a lot of things I don't like in this world, but there's no use in mentioning them. As for opinions, if they're not pleasant, they'd better be kept to yourself. I learned that early in life, and forget it every day. I'm going to try and think Michigan is a grand place, and next to Virginia the best to live in. They couldn't, couldn't expect me to think it was like Virginia. Perhaps, after a while, Uncle Park may come back. For over two hundred years his people have lived here, and sometimes I believe he feels just like that dog did who had his call in him. The call of the place that the first dogs came from, that wild, free place, and I think Uncle Park wants to come back, wants to be with his own people. Out west is very convenient, though, Peggy Green says. She has an aunt who used to live out there, and she told her you could do as you choose in almost everything. If husbands and wives don't like each other, there was no trouble in getting new ones. They could get a divorce and marry somebody else. I wonder what a divorce is. We've never had one in Yorkburg, and I never knew until the other day that when you got married, it wasn't really truly permanent. I thought it was forever and ever until death parted. The prayer book says so, and I thought it meant it. By the time I'm grown, I guess I'll find a lot of things are said and not meant. Maybe when I find out, I will be all the gladder to come back to Yorkburg, where people don't seem to know much about these new fashion things where they still believe in the old ones, and just live on and don't hurry, and are kind and polite and dear, if they are slow and queer, and proud a little bit. It makes me have such a funny feeling in my throat when I think about going away. I'm trying not to think, but I do. Think all the time. I want this summer to be the happiest the children ever had. It's the last for me. That sounds consumptive, but I don't mean that way. I mean, it's my last orphan summer. Of course I'm glad, awful glad. But I'm so sorry the other children aren't going, too. For them it's prunes and blue and white calico to look forward to until they're eighteen. Year in and year out, prunes and calico. But maybe it isn't. If Mary Carey will do her part... Something nicer may happen. She doesn't know yet the way to make it happen, having nothing much to send back but love. Somebody says love finds the way. Oh, Mary Carey, you and love must find a way. The End End of Chapter 15 Recording by Jan McGillivray End of Mary Carey, Frequently Martha, by Kate Langley Bosher.